step back and you ask yourself two questions. How often do I hear the name of Jesus even mentioned among believers when they talk with each other on a Sunday morning? And secondly, do I ever hear a believer so excited about something new they've discovered about Jesus? Not some blessing God gave them this week, as important as that is, but some new discovery of the glory of who Jesus is that has thrilled their hearts so much they want to find another believer to at least take a, you know, 30 seconds to tell them what they just discovered. I'm Steve Green on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm excited to introduce you to our guest today uh, with his new book, as well as just a great history of writing and really making a difference in the kingdom of God. And so join me in welcoming uh, David Bryant, B-R-Y-A-N-T. I want you to know that so you can find him later. David Bryant, welcome to the Charisma Podcast Network. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for inviting me. Well, right from the beginning, I know people are going to want to find you, so I'm going to give this website out so they'll have it handy. The website that you're going to want to look at is ChristNow.com. Again, it's ChristNow.com, and you'll find all of David's books, and particularly the book we're going to talk about in this interview, and that's his book, it's his newest release, Christ is Now. So David, would you brief that for me just a little bit and set up uh, how God led you to write this book and what your, what your message is in writing Christ is Now? Well, Steve, the, the interesting thing is this is sort of the book I've been trying to write for about 40 years, mm-hmm. and I wrote a, a, a number of other books along the way that sort of got me partway there. But in my traveled into every stream of the body of Christ worldwide for almost 40 years now, and I became increasingly aware of what I call a crisis of Christology, that there's a a low view of Jesus that seems to be pretty prevalent all through the the body of Christ when you compare what Scripture teaches about the glory of Christ, or what I refer to as the supremacy of Christ. So I kept trying to enlarge people's vision of who Jesus is in a number of other arenas, uh, in all kinds of ministries that the Father's given me over the years. And all the time as I would write a book, I always felt like this isn't quite everything that needs to be said. Mm-hmm. So the book Christ is Now, I call it sort of my opus maximus. It is what I've been trying to write. So in a sense, Steve, it has, uh, you could say it has almost 40 years of research behind it. And the final thing I would say, just as an introduction to the book, I often say to audiences when I'm speaking around the world that um, the most important gift I bring to you tonight or whenever it is, uh, the most important gift I bring to you are my ears, because I've spent 40 years basically listening uh, to what the Spirit of the Lord is teaching God's people and in this particular case, teaching God's people about God's Son, and then sort of synthesizing all these different insights. I mean, thousands of wonderful insights I've gained from so many of God's people and so many streams of the Church. And then I've sort of brought them all together in this book, Christ Is Now, which I have to say is probably unique among any books I've read, and I've read hundreds of them that have been published on the person of Christ. So, right from the beginning, could you delineate the difference between how most Christians see Jesus and how you see him in supremacy? Try to help us bridge that gap between 
what you know and what we do. Yeah, okay. Let me do that in two ways. First, just an image, and then I'll give you a definition. Okay. Um, uh, the image, and I don't. Li- I live here in New York City, so I'm not very far from uh, from the ocean. So you could take a, a water bottle, uh, like you buy at the store, uh, an empty one, and go to the edge of the ocean with a dipper, and you can fill it up to the top with water, with ocean water, and that's good. But if you take the bottle, the empty bottle, and fling it out into the ocean as far as you can possibly throw it, it will soon fill up with water, but it will also be taken by the currents down deeper and further than you could ever imagine. So the difference between the bottle on the shore and the bottle of the ocean is the difference between how most Christians look at Jesus and and who he really is. And so here's my definition. The bottle on the shore being just filled up to full and left that way uh, is is what we mean when we say Jesus is at the center of my life. What we normally mean is he's at the center of who I am, where I'm headed, what I'm doing, and how I get blessed. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he wants to be at the center of that, but if we leave it at that, we've made him sort uh, of—we've miniaturized him— so that he's basically fits into my little life in all the different ways I need him to be, like like the bottle getting filled to the top. But when I talk about the supremacy of Christ, and this book, uh, Christ is Now, is essentially 640 pages going into this, so this is a very quick introduction. But when I talk about the supremacy of Christ, I mean that beyond the centrality of Christ, the Father wants me to live at the center of who Jesus is where he is headed, what he is doing, and how he gets blessed. And that is a humongous uh, shift in how we look at the Lord Jesus. So instead of me acquiring more of Jesus in my life, it's me being involved much more in the life of Christ himself, in what his reign is all about, in, in what his purposes are all about, so that uh, then he becomes larger and larger, and we end up experiencing the answer to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, that wonderful prayer where he says that he prays that the Spirit of the Lord will take all of the saints into the height, width, length, and depth of the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ that goes beyond knowledge. That's sort of the ocean. That's like being drawn by the currents out further, deeper, uh, so that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. So, yeah, my life gets filled with Jesus for sure, but I'm taken into the depths of Jesus. That's what it means to live at the light of his supremacy. So I want you to look out over the church and you see uh, an average nuclear family of a husband, a wife, and a couple of children. And when your message in this book, Christ is Now, when it gets into their home, what changes? What, what do you think practically happens when people get this? That's a great question. And, you know, Jesus said in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 12, he said, out of uh, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm -hmm. He made a direct connection between our conversation and what's going on inside of our hearts. So uh, if you were to say to me, David, show me evidence that there really is a crisis in the church today regarding how we look at Jesus. My simple answer to that, and I've been doing this for years so there's a lot of research behind this all you need to do is listen to god's people talking to each other on a sunday morning and after maybe three or four sundays of just walking around listening to conversations 
you step back and you ask yourself two questions. How often do I hear the name of Jesus even mentioned among believers when they talk with each other on a Sunday morning? And secondly, do I ever hear a believer so excited about something new they've discovered about Jesus, not some blessing God gave them this week, as important as that is, but some new discovery of the glory of who Jesus is that has thrilled their hearts so much they want to find another believer to at least take a you know, 30 seconds to tell them what they just discovered or, uh, in this past week. And what you'll find is that Jesus is hardly getting mentioned at all, and, wow. and very few people are so excited about him. They're wanting to share him with other believers, which then, of course, you know, raises the question, could that be the reason why we're not sharing him with unbelievers? <laughs> because we're not even talking about him with each other. Now, to answer your question then, what would happen around the dinner table some evening as that family is learning more and more of the glory of Jesus, that will become more and more a part of their conversation. And, and, and all of its practical implications for what's gone on that day. Because if they went into the beginning of that day, whether it's school or the marketplace or the business place or the home, if they go into the beginning of the day saying, my life, this day, is going to be lived out at the center of what Jesus is all about, where he's headed, what he's doing, how he can get more blessing, more glory, more honor. And that's what my whole life is about. Then at the end of the day, around the table, and the kids can get involved in this just as much as the adults, we start talking about how did this day go in a way that fit into who Jesus is and what he's all about and brought him greater glory. And uh, that, that will transform the whole dinner hour for any family. So you have called this, I've read good sections of your book, you've called this a Christ awakening. So when Christ awakens in our home, it shows up in our conversation. Is that your first point? Um, Well, yes, that would be one evidence of a Christ awakening. Certainly uh, a Christ awakening. The reason I use the word awakening, we often talk about spiritual awakenings. Sure, revival. If you study the great awakenings of church history, mm-hmm. what we often call the great spiritual awakenings, you'll find that the central theme of those awakenings is that people are waking up to more of who Jesus is. That's really what's going on. And so I decide, well, let's just call it that. When, when I wake up in the morning, everything I need to begin the day is in my room. You know, I just need to get dressed and get going. But I didn't know that till I was awake, even though it was all there in my presence all through the night. And so Jesus, in all of his fullness, Paul says, is dwelling in in our lives and in our churches, not parts of him, but all of him. So what what happens to us is, like Paul says in Romans uh, 13, he says, awake, uh, you know, uh, now is your salvation nearer than when you first believed. So wake up and clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. In other words, he's there, so so put him on. Start living in the light of who he is. And that's a spiritual work. That's a Holy Spirit work. That can't come by any other means. And, And Jesus said in John 16 that the primary ministry, primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is, as Jesus put it there, to take the things of mine, he said, and reveal them to you. Then he said, all that the Father has is mine. That's supremacy. Now he wants to take what is mine and reveal it to you. And when that happens, like Paul writes in Ephesians 5 to Christians, he says, awake from the dead, you who are asleep, and Christ will shine on you. So it's sort of like, get out of bed, get up. 
Jesus is ready to do things with your life that you never expected yes. before. You've got to see him for who he is to begin with. Yes. And when we do this, first of all, it's a matter of the heart. And you've, you've identified that clearly because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I don't know about you, brother, but there are times when I don't like what I speak. You know, I've heard I've, I've heard a phrase, not that I've got foul language, but just language that may not be called words of life, maybe critical spirit or maybe right. uh, saying things I wish I hadn't said that, you know, may harm someone. And and this verse comes back to me when I hear it. And I think you're suggesting that if my walk is closer, if I'm more focused on him, I won't have near those problems with how I speak. Oh, absolutely. And there's so many parts of Scripture, places in Scripture, that back up that very premise. For example, in Colossians 3.16, Paul puts it very succinctly like this. Mm -hmm. He says that the word of Christ, which in the Greek really means the message about Christ, Christ, incidentally, is not his last name, as you well know. It is his title. It means the anointed one. It has to do with his ascension. It has to do with who he is and where he is and what he's doing at this very moment as God's anointed Redeemer and Savior and Lord. And uh, so Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the message about who this person is right now, the Christ, now watch the next phrase, Mm -hmm. dwell in you richly. Now, to dwell is one thing. Richly is to be saturated. In other words, let this vision of Christ saturate your life. I know you've written this wonderful book, Steve, on uh, how uh, entitled Love Leads, and uh, you're very clear in it at one point. uh, I was just reading the other day where you make it clear that the most important principle for a good leader is is to really see clearly who Jesus is. And I absolutely agree that the way we're going to end up being loving leaders mm-hmm. is as we fall more deeply in love with the living Jesus and become saturated with his supreme love. See, that's so good. And then, and then when we're, uh, the way I often put it, when we're person-driven, then we'll be purpose-driven in, in all the right ways. But first of all, we need to be person-driven. And, of course, love is at the heart of who Jesus is. We're visiting with David Bryant. He's written a fabulous book, Christ is Now. We're deep in a conversation with him, and I'm, I'm so moved. I, at one point, I felt like I was punched in the gut with one of those great big old boxing gloves. And now at this point, I'm thinking of all the times I get asked when I teach leadership seminars that I want to love, I want to be a loving leader, but my people will take advantage of me, and I've got to be tough and strong. What I hear you saying is that you won't have any choice but to love if you come into this awakening, this understanding of Jesus. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and you know, uh, in my book, Christ is Now, I, bra- I basically break down uh, the biblical understanding of the majesty and supremacy and greatness, glory of God's Son into seven little prepositions. And most of the book is unpacking these seven prepositions and all seven prepositions bring me out at the point of love. The seven little prepositions that unpack everything the Bible teaches on the greatness of Jesus are who he is to us, that's his personhood, who he is for us, that's what he's done for us by the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, who he is over us, that is how his reign is being extended right now over creation, over 
world history, over world leaders, over the peoples of the earth, over the, the forces of darkness, and, and finally, most importantly, over the building of the church, mm-hmm. uh, who he is before us as he goes ahead of us, goes ahead of us into the heavens, goes ahead of us into the, uh, into the promises of God, goes ahead of us into the future and brings it back to us, goes ahead of us into the world and opens up ways for us to serve others in his name, who he is within us as he lives out his ascended, resurrected, ascended life within our lives individually and together, who he is through us as he ministers to one another in the body of Christ through our spiritual gifts and then on out right to the very ends of the earth, and finally, who he is upon us, and all the passages that talk about how he wants to come and intensify and deepen and enrich everything he's already doing and taking where we've never gone with those things before. So you put all of that together, who he is for us, uh, to us, and for us, and over us, and before us, and within us, and through us, and, and upon us, you know, that's the love of Jesus. And the better I get to know who he is in all those dimensions of his love, then the more open my life will become to him to live out those dimensions uh, in my own experience, both, both in terms of what he does to me, but then ultimately what he also does through me. So again, what I hear you saying, and it's so powerful, you're absolutely slaying me. These are s- such good takeaways from this podcast, I hope. I hope everyone that calls themselves a Christian would hear this podcast. I mean this. But here's here's what I'm, I'm thinking, that we try to do this. I go to church and I go and try to do better. You know, and I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to help me to become more like him. When really what I need to do is press more into him, more into these seven prepositions, and really understand that. And some of these issues that I'm trying to take care of or that I'm efforting to do on my own will be done through him. You know, uh, Steve, you've really gotten right to the core of the issue. Uh, when When I do seminars, for example, with pastors and spiritual leaders, particularly those who, for example, preach on a uh, pretty regularly on Sunday mornings. Sure. I said, you need to go back and look at your sermons for the last two or three months and ask yourself this question. When my people walked out of the sanctuary that morning, did they walk out with hope or did they walk out with ought? In other words, did they walk out Ooh. seeing Jesus in a new way that just exploded their hearts in anticipation of all that was going to happen that week as they lived their lives at the center of who Jesus is, or did they walk out with a sense of of things we need to change, new things I need to do, where I fail and I've got to make corrections, and the things I ought to do. Because, and maybe this really brings it right down to the the nub of everything, as we're talking particularly about love leads, Mm -hmm. is uh, two verses. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says that faith is the evidence of things hoped for, conviction of things not yet seen. So then, uh, you can't have faith until, first of all, you have hope. Because faith is merely living out at this moment what all what Jesus gives to me, the reason to hope and anticipate. Paul says all the promises of God are yes to us in Christ Jesus. And so that hope, that vision, that anticipation then gets lived out in my daily obedience. And then Paul says, in Galatians chapter 5, he says, in the new creation, the only thing that matters is faith working itself out in love. So watch how this works. 
Paul says only three things remain in the end, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, absolutely right. But the first is hope. First there's hope, which then springs in me uh, an obedience of faith right now in response to what's coming and where God's going and how this is going to exalt the Son of God. And then that, that obedience of faith ultimately will show itself in terms of love. As I often put it this way, hope is hearing the music of the future. Faith is dancing to it right now. And love is reaching out and inviting others into the dance with you. (laughs) you got to be dancing yourself first. And the way you start dancing is you see who Jesus is and what he's all about. And your life overflows. Or as Paul says in Romans 15, you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Wow, I I'm, I can't write fast enough. Some of the things you're saying are just so pregnant with truth, with deep meaning. Uh, brother, you're just, your command of Scripture, this is a fabulous book. And before I, I get let you go, we're running to out of time, but I, I can't let you get away without asking you about the state of our country and what you see and how Jesus could really usher in a change in the way we do life politically and socially, economically in this country. Would you speak to the state of our country and the answer? You know, uh, boy. How about that? (laughs) Do we have another three hours? Yes. Um, (laughs) uh, Let me me just put it this way. I I often make this statement. I said the greatest crisis in the world is any crisis going on inside the church. Because the church has the only answer to all the other crises that the world is facing, one way or another, it all comes back to the gospel. It all comes back to the person of Christ himself. And so if there is any crisis in the church, whether the world knows anything about that or not, the world may not realize it, but its greatest crisis is the crisis in the church. So having said that, I believe the greatest crisis our nation is facing is the crisis in the church right now. And that crisis is nothing else than and nothing greater than, can't be greater than, the crisis of vision of how we see Jesus. On the back of my book, um, and and this would be a great answer to your question, anybody that wants to read the back cover of the book (laughs) will hear another way to answer your question. At the back of the book, it it says, what is it going to take to bring America into its true greatness. There's a question, and then I, it's answered this way. When the whole church across the whole nation becomes wholly alive to the whole vision of the whole Christ, and that's the crisis. We do not see the whole Christ. We don't have the whole vision. We're not wholly alive to him for who he really is. And there's no way our nation can ever be salvaged no matter what the issues are. I'm wor- I work regularly inside one of the major federal pe- uh, penitentiaries in this country on a regular basis. I see the power of the gospel in the lives of, uh, of those who've committed horrible crimes and are totally transformed. Mm-hmm. If the church was delivered from its crisis, then the church would be able to become the solution, the answer to so many other crises we're facing in this country. And so that's where we've got to begin, getting back, getting the church reconverted, reintroduced uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
for who he really is. You know, it says in the front of my book, there's that little phrase, meet him again for the first time. And, and that's what we've got to do. God's people have got to meet God's son again in a way that will be so revolutionary that it'll feel to us as if we're meeting him for the very first time. Mm, so powerful. Sounds like the natural end of this podcast to me, except I won't let you go yet. I'd like you to give one tip to the leaders that are listening to this podcast, one way of improving their effectiveness as a leader. Uh, one tip is, uh, as a leader, uh, yes. there's nothing more. How can we get better in our leadership roles, brother? Yeah. You know, again, there's so many good answers I'm sh- that you put in your book to that yes. question, and so many I could think of at the moment. But if I was going to get it down to simplicity, it would be Romans 10:17. Faith comes by hearing, when what is heard is the message of Christ. Every leader has got to be a Christ proclaimer. And I don't mean by that giving people four spiritual laws or doing an evangelistic message to everybody you see. But it means that we've got to weave a testimony to the glory of Jesus into every, uh, every facet of our leadership. Because in the end, the only thing that matters, you know, it's the cry of the Reformation. It's by faith alone. Um, the only thing that matters is what flows out of faith. That's all that matters to the Lord. And if I'm going to be a good leader, I've got to bring those with me, along with me, into a deeper walk of faith. And the only way to do that is to show them more of Jesus, which is what ignites that faith to begin with. So if I had to choose one thing to do as a leader to increase the effectiveness of my leadership, even in the secular marketplace, and I could give a lot of illustrations of CEOs who are Christians who are really doing this right now, I would say make Jesus the issue in everything you do in leadership as best you can. That's so powerful. I'm going to refer people to your website again. It's ChristNow.com or davidbryantbooks.com if you want to see other writings. This book is Christ is Now, and I think what you've heard in this podcast is this is a book to read now. Don't wait. Get it now. Get five or ten of them. Give them away. May I suggest you give one to your pastor. That uh, It's that kind of book. It'll wow him and the entire congregation. David Bryant, any last word before we call it a day? Um, the last word is Christ, uh, Christ is now. That means everything we've been talking about in these last few minutes, Steve. This yes. is who he is at this very moment. Not who yes. he was, not who he will be. This is who he is right now. Amen. This interview wowed me. It affected me. And I believe every listener that hears it will be blessed and will be on a charge to walk this out and to make Christ's central figure to everything we say and do as leaders. So thank you, David Bryant. I appreciate you so much for being on the show. This is Steve Green on the Charisma Podcast Network. And thanks again to David Bryant and the book, Christ is Now. God bless you all. Fundraising is something almost every church, school, team, and club does, but for busy groups and leaders, it can be hard making the time to sell. Rada Cutlery's internet fundraiser is so simple, it hardly feels like fundraising. With sign-up only taking five minutes, this program makes earning 40% fundraising profit as easy as posting on social media. Just head to www.radacutlery.com, that's R-A-D-A cutlery.com, slash L-P slash internet dash fundraising. 
Pick a fundraiser that works for you. Partner with a company that has 70 years of helping fundraising groups sell factory direct 100% made in the USA kitchen products, Rada Cutlery. Again, head to www.radacutlery.com slash LP slash internet dash fundraising. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.